Welcome back to The Coop with Meyer Hatchery, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of educating crazy chicken keepers and inspiring future flock owners. I'm Kendra. And I'm Jeff. And today we're talking about meat bird breeds as part of our best of series. We dedicate one episode per month to this series, covering the very best of each month's topic. For the month of August, we're going to dive into the best breeds for producing meat. Whether you're looking to bring home-raised chicken to market or produce enough meat to feed your family, there are several meat breed options to fit your needs. Before we dive into the breeds themselves, let's talk about the benefits of raising your own meat birds. So first and foremost, it's an adventure to raise your meat from farm to table. I know that's such a catchy term that a lot of restaurants are using now, but to be able to raise and process your own meat at home and then consume it at the dinner table, it's a trip. It is. It's satisfying to know that you did this. You raised it, you butchered it, and it's on your table. Now, the other thing is you have the opportunity in most cases to free range, or if they're in a tractor, same kind of scenario where they're allowed to eat bugs, explore the grass, soak up the sunshine. In general, you're raising healthier birds, which produces healthier meat. Now, when it comes to healthier meat, it also means that your animals are being humanely raised and processed. So, of course, you know where your meat is coming from because it's in your backyard. And then you can ensure that they not only have a quality of life, but of death if you're processing at home. Another great benefit is that you can educate your family, your children, your extended family about where food comes from. You're letting your kids see that it's not a McNugget that they're eating, but an animal they raised in the backyard. Well, it really creates an appreciation for your food when you have to put the work into it. Big time. And I think it helps you also cut down on food waste. Because when you're putting all that time and effort into it, you don't want to waste it either. And I think when you go and buy things from the grocery store, it's easy to let them rot in the back of your fridge or toss the leftovers. But when it's your time and effort and money that's really gone into the process, it makes using every part of the animal a bigger priority. Yes. And so that kind of just ends with basically the satisfaction of raising your own meat. And I know it can be a touchy subject amongst people and amongst family members on if you're doing it. But I can tell you from experience that once you raise and process your own animal and you kind of work through that process on your own, it truly is one of the biggest satisfactory moments that you'll have. For instance, we've raised chickens and processed them for years now. It's just become part of our yearly homesteading process. Last year, we had to process our own hogs because of the butcher shortage. And then that was like a new eye opener to the satisfaction of raising and processing your own meat. It was a big undertaking. And like I said, it was not only a physical undertaking to process them, but also emotional because you do have some attachment to them, raising them on your own. So once you process them and put them in your freezer and you're cooking with them, I don't know. It's just, it's a feeling that is hard to describe. And satisfaction isn't necessarily the word I'm looking for here. It's something greater than that. It's something bigger than yourself. And I think once you go through that, you'll know. So if you're listening to it and you've processed your own animals, I feel like you know what I'm talking about. If you're like, Kendra, what the heck? It will come to you in time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I did not have any emotional ties to the chicken at all. 
But the investment of my work, the investment of my time, the satisfaction of having the chick, raising it up, having it butchered or I butchered, and then having it on the table, there's this, this is the effort of my work. And I'm feeding my family with the effort of my work. And that's satisfying. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So now when you're starting to look at different breeds to process, there is a lot of information out there. It's overwhelming and there's a lot of personal preference added to it. So when you're talking amongst other homesteaders, you'll hear what they like to raise and why. And it really just comes from experience. I've raised a lot of breeds to try to pare down to what I enjoy raising. And so we're going to kind of run through breeds for chickens, ducks, geese, and turkey today to try to help you determine what you A, want to start with, or B, a breed you may want to explore or try new. So First, of course, we're kicking off the episode with Cornish Cross, right? They're like the most popular meat breed out there. They are commercially grown and raised. That's what you're getting in grocery stores and at McDonald's. And they're available for you to raise in your backyard, too. Now offered at Meyer Hatcher at the low, low price, $2.13. (laughs) (laughs) They are one of our most popular meat breeds, and I think it just is because of how common they are. And so for Cornish Cross, they are typically processed at six to nine weeks of age. The processing weight afterwards, so what you end up putting in your freezer is anywhere from five to eight pounds. They're an extremely fast growing breed, and that's why a lot of people like them and why they're used commercially. So it's a quick turnaround to get them, raise them, process them, put them in the freezer and do your next batch. We have a lot of customers that rotate them. So they put in anywhere from two to five orders throughout the summer. So they're basically getting a new batch in as the first batch is being processed. And a lot of those customers are selling them at market or something like that. They're selling them locally um, or shipping them. I know there's a lot of new shipping programs out there for some smaller homesteads. Something to keep in mind if that is the direction your homestead is going, if you're looking at monetizing some aspects, Cornish Cross is definitely going to be one of your most cost-effective meat breeds. Now, one of the things you need to take into consideration when raising Cornish Cross is feeding them. So they are fast growers and they are hungry. They will bombard you. (laughs) Yes. When you first get them, you're basically on a feeding schedule of 12 hours on, 12 hours off after their first week of age. So the first week you set the feed in the brooder and let them eat away. The second week, you're putting the feed in the brooder for 12 hours and then you're removing it for 12 hours. If you leave the feed in there, it increases the chances of them overeating, which can lead to death ultimately. So they have no bounds. (laughs) They will eat and eat and eat. They are never full. So make sure that you're doing the 12 hours on, 12 hours off for the best results. Um, The other thing that I noticed with Cornish Cross is they are a little more finicky when you start. So if you get a breeze through your brooder or a draft in your coop and they're not quite fully feathered, um, I know a lot of Cornish Cross have some bare skin showing as they're growing. They can get chilled easily and that can also lead to death or growth issues. So they're not growing the same way the rest of the flock would be. Um, Same goes for chicken tractors. 
a lot of people like putting Cornish Cross and chicken tractors, which is awesome. But if you live in a area that has fluctuating temperatures or crazy weather patterns, and one day it's sunny and the next second it's pouring rain and hail, and you don't have a tarp over that chicken tractor for them to get away from the elements, that can also cause issues. So with them, you just have to be a little more aware. Another advantage to raising Cornish cross is you can get Cornish game hen out of them. I think it's a little confusing because people usually assume Cornish game hen is a game bird, but it's not. It's a Cornish cross broiler that's just processed at an earlier age. So a Cornish game hen can be any gender. It can be male or female. It's usually butchered at about four to five weeks versus the six to nine weeks. And so the processed weight is two pounds or less. And so that's giving you the smaller bird that you usually see at fancy restaurants or for special occasion meals. That's what a lot of people typically consume a Cornish game hen. The advantages to raising them at that younger age is the skin is a little thinner, the meat is typically more tender, and it makes it a better bird to absorb things like marinades and spices and sauces. And so if you're looking to kind of change up your culinary routine, it could be interesting to try to process a few of your Cornish cross earlier to get that Cornish game hen. Little tip. Now, for the homesteaders that like to crunch numbers or the people who are going to market and want to make sure that their birds are being cost effective, we have some broiler feed conversion numbers for you. And these numbers can also be found on our website and help desk. So don't feel like you have to memorize these. They're available to you at any time also linked below in the show notes, but to kind of give you an idea of how much feed broilers will consume. Basically, your broilers love to eat, as we've said multiple times. You take out a bucket of feed and they all pop up when you open that door and it's like a wave of white coming at you to get that feed. And then you struggle through them to pour into the feeder. But if you want the numbers, approximately seven and a half pounds of feed cumulative if processed at six weeks. But if you want to go for the full eight weeks, you're looking at 13 and a half pounds of feed total if processed at eight weeks. So basically what that means is if you had one single Cornish cross bird, they'll eat 13 and a half pounds of feed to get them to that eight week processing period. So then you would have to multiply that by how many Cornish cross you're raising. And then you'll kind of have an idea of how much feed you're going to go through. Of course, they are live animals. So sometimes they eat more, sometimes they eat less. There'll be a little variance in that number, but it gives you a general idea for planning purposes. And again, I don't care (laughs) how much feed my birds eat. I have to buy bulk feed anyways because my flock is ridiculously large and I am just processing for my own consumption. But I know there are some homesteaders that like numbers and to keep track of that kind of information. And then, of course, if you're raising them for market, this number will help you in pricing your birds for sale. So then you can take into account your feed and water and time spent and processing cost. And then that's what gives you that number to put on them at market. So again, all that information is online and below in the show notes if you want to take a peek at that. 
The next most common meat chicken, I would say, is our Rainbow Ranger broilers. And these are my personal favorite. I know when Jeff and I went to the Homesteaders of America conference this year, we talked a lot of people into trying the Rainbow Rangers. And for good reason. So the Rainbow Rangers are a little bit slower growing. They're still technically considered a broiler, but you'll process them at nine to 11 weeks of age and their weights will be three to four pounds. Personally, I let my grow out a little bit longer so that they're a little bit bigger. And the way I get around doing that is my rangers are free range. I get them up to a certain point and then I integrate them into my layer flock and they go in and out of the coop just like a regular chicken. And we end up pulling them, you know, the day before processing to separate them, restrict feed, and then we'll process them the next day. So mine probably average out more to the five to eight pounds, but it's completely up to you and your environment. Of course, with meat birds, the longer you let them go, the more health issues they'll have because they're a heavier bird. So something to consider and kind of test out on your own. Um, One of the biggest differences other than growth rate between the Rainbow Rangers and Cornish Cross is kind of their development. So Cornish Cross not only grows fast, but they've been bred to produce meat in different areas. That's the best way I feel like I can put it. Basically, their breast meat is a lot larger. So like when you go to the grocery store, you know, the breast meat is huge fillets that you have. When you raise rangers on your own, you're not getting that. They're smaller, a more typical chicken breast. So if you're specific about wanting white meat, Cornish Cross may be your way to go. If you're okay with consuming white and dark meat and more of an average chicken, Rainbow Rangers is going to be the way you want to go. And I always advise people to try both. Really, you don't know. I mean, people can tell me that all the time. Like when I started, people were like, oh, you don't want Rangers. You want Cornish Cross. I tried both and I prefer Rangers. So please take this advice with a grain of salt. And I highly, highly recommend and trying both to find what you like. Totally agree. Everybody's got an opinion. The only opinion you should count on is your own. So do both. Do a small flock, see what it's like. You end up with the chicken on the table still, either way you do it. But now you've experienced both. Now you can be an expert. (laughs) Now, there is also a gray ranger. And these are basically the same processing time as the rainbow ranger. You raise them nine to 11 weeks, they'll process out at three to four pounds. And all rangers, if you are going to let them grow out a little bit longer than that nine to 11 week period, just keep in mind that whatever their weight is, they'll dress out approximately 68 to 70% of that live weight. So that means once you call them, eviscerate them, clean them, feather. To feather them, yes. That's about 70% is what I usually factor into what they weigh live. So that's a good way to kind of gauge what kind of meat consumption you're getting. Now with the Rangers, their feed conversion is uh, 2.5 pounds of feed per pound of live weight if you process it at the eight to nine weeks. And you'll get 2.7 to 2.8 pounds of feed per pound of live weight if you process it later, like Kendra does, 2 to 11 to 12 to 13. I will say 
<laughs> I probably shouldn't admit this in live public. This is not best practice. Do not be Kendra. I, Please don't. <laughs> I raised Rainbow Rangers. We processed a lot. There may or may not have been an accident during the processing. And so there were a couple birds that did not get processed. And I just said, we'll do them later. Well, later never came. My a couple of my rainbow <laughs> a couple of my rainbow rangers were close to a year old by the time what? I processed them. I swear they were old. They were fine. I mean, if they ever got to a point where there were leg issues or health concerns, I definitely would have processed them. But they went in and out of the coop, ate, drank. I had one that actually got a little bit broody and sat on some eggs. I just let them go with the rest of my layer flock. When we did process them, though, the amount of fat on the bird was insane. I wish I would have. I took in pictures because no one's going to believe me. But when you process the bird and you slice the back of them open, it was just a yellow slice of fat back there. Like there was so much more fat content on it. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It was like the really good yellow, good cooking fat. So I wasn't complaining. But if I would have raised my entire flock like that, not worth it. It was a little bit out of control. So I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting fact. Don't do so the it. The point is butcher by 11 weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when I'm saying let them go a little bit past nine to 11 weeks, I don't mean like a year later, <laughs> like just a couple weeks later. But yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons though, like that mistake or that instance that happened, I won't call it a mistake because I mean, we still benefited from the bird and the bird lived a good, healthy life. But one of the things I realized is that rainbow rangers are a lot hardier and more chicken-like than a Cornish cross. And if you've raised Cornish cross, I think you'll get exactly what I'm saying. Um, But that's why I like them is because I can free range them and they're a lot less effort in that raising stage. Another thing to point out is they don't require the 12 on 12 off. So when they're younger, they are a little more aggressive at the feeder, similar to Cornish, but they're nothing like Cornish. I mean, when I put them in with my layer flock, they act like a normal chicken. So another highlight of why I like the Rangers. The big, um, I won't say the biggest question, but another question we get quite a bit from people raising meat birds for the first time is, does raising straight run make a difference? Yes. Is the short answer, which I like to give. So the answer is yes. The answer is a long answer. Talk to Kendra. (laughs) (laughs) So it does make a difference. Males and females will be different weights, for lack of better terms. For me, I don't mind. I like having different weights. And then I, when I process and I bag them and put them in the freezer, I put the weight on them. So when I'm cooking, if I'm feeding family and friends, I can pull a bigger bird. If it's just me, I can pull a smaller bird. It gives me variety in my cooking. And I think um, anyone at home who cooks or has a family to feed would also appreciate it. If you go to market, you may not have that same perspective. So a lot of times for people who sell at market, they want a pretty consistent weight. Again, that's why the Cornish Cross are really popular because the feed conversion is a lot closer than if you were to free range rangers and have some variables in there. And so for those people, you may want to do all male or all female to make sure you're getting a pretty consistent weight to sell. 
Something to consider for the average backyarder, homesteader, chicken raiser. Not a big deal. Some people also are concerned about males and being like aggressive or the crowing. You process meat birds at such a young age that you really don't see any of that. In fact, when my rangers start crowing, I know like, okay, it's time to go. Because at that point, they're usually around 13 to 16 week age. And you know, it's time for you to be processing. So you don't have to worry about any rooster issues that you may be concerned about. Speaking of roosters, another meat bird option is our fry pan bargain. Which is a deal. Big time deal. We offer almost every week, every hatch day, you can get fry pan bargain. And with those, they eat like what a normal chicken eats. Eats not that much. They don't eat as much as your broilers or your rangers. And you can process them starting about 16 weeks is when they start getting into that closer to that adult size. And the processing weight is anywhere from three and a half to five pounds. Hey, Jeff, you want to tell people what the fry pan bargain includes? Male chicks. <laughs> exactly. So the, it's a bargain because it's all roosters and it's various breeds. Typically, there are heavier breeds. So think things like Jersey Giants. Um, I know Bard Rocks Bard Rock, are included. Yeah. Orpingtons. It's an assortment. And typically, it's a heavier breed. So it'll give you a little bit better meat production. Did you say the processing weight? Mm-hmm. Okay. I couldn't remember because I was thinking about how you didn't specify what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did a fry pan bargain. Did you? I did. I, oh, I think I ordered Rangers one year and um, there was a hatch date issue. So I couldn't get my whole Ranger order and I opted to fill it with some fry pan bargain birds. And it was an experience because I was used to just, you know, free ranging my Rangers and processing. But then I had to wait for my fry pan bargains to grow out a little bit longer. And those birds are fast. (laughs) By the time they hit 16 to 20 weeks and they're integrated with your layers, separating those are a little bit harder than separating your rangers. Um, So just keep that in mind. Most of the customers that order fry pan bargain order fry pan bargain exclusively. And it really is because of the deal. It's a cheaper bird. It's one of the cheapest meat birds you're going to get. And of course, processing it out, it's going to be like a regular chicken. It's not going to be like a Cornish cross or the range where it's faster growing and better meat production. It's just a straight chicken. This is one I get asked all the time. Hey, should I get a dual purpose? And it's like, okay, are you wanting eggs or meat? Uh, Eggs. And it's like, okay. Dual purpose birds are basically chickens that are heavier. They're not the normal six pounds. They're bigger, like your Jersey Giants. They're a heavier bird or your Cochins or your Brahmas or any of the birds that are heavier. There's more meat. That's why you pick the dual purpose. If you're just going to have eggs, man, you get the birds you want. Um, It doesn't have to be a dual purpose. And I think that raises a really good question when we talk about meat birds. You can eat any chicken. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a meat bird. And so that's really what dual purpose is. A lot of people who eat dual purpose typically um, rotate their egg layers. So I think we've talked about this in a previous episode too, but most breeds hit their peak at two years of age in egg production, and then will slowly decrease after that. If you take eggs to market on a regular basis, most people rotate that flock to you know keep optimal egg production going. And so when the egg layers hit 
hit their peak and they start to decrease, they turn into meat birds. And so if you're raising dual purpose, that's a good way to make sure you're getting a large amount of meat out of them. But we've had some older birds that a lot of people refer to as stewing hens because they claim they're tougher, um, which they are to a degree. But I also think it's a lot of how you cook them. You can eat any chicken. I've eaten multiple different breeds. And again, between breeds, yes, you'll have some weight differences, but otherwise chicken is chicken. And it's all good. <laughs> as long as Jeff's not cooking it, but he'll eat No, it. I'm good. I'm a good cook. <laughs> All right. So I think that wraps up chicken meat breeds for the most part, right? So now let's get into ducks. Now I'm just going to be straight. I do not like duck meat. I can't do it. I've tried. Maybe it's the way it's cooked. Maybe I'll take some way it's cooked. my That's own advice. Yep. I need to go. Yep. I need someone to cook it good for me so I can really have a good judgment on it. But at the moment I can say we don't eat duck here. <laughs> You're missing out. I know. So there's a couple breeds for ducks. Uh, the first one is a Muscovy. And now this is known as a dual purpose breed. A lot of people like Muscovies for their eggs, but they're also a really well-known meat breed because of their size. So they're typically six and a half to 15 pounds and they mature at about 28 weeks. So not a fast growing breed by any means, but a really hardy homestead breed. One of the reasons people like them so much is because their claim to fame is 98% fat free. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird, but duck is known to be greasy. Meat sometimes when you're processing them and Muscovies are not that. So you're not going to get that when you're cutting them open. And if they're raised properly in their first 12 weeks of age, they can gain 12 pounds. So that's a pretty good feed conversion ratio as you're growing those Muscovies out. Now your jumbo pecans is what you see at the county fair. That's the ones that the kids raise because that's the commercial duck that is most normally used in commercial operations for duck meat. It's like the Cornish cross of ducks. Exactly. And those get up from nine to 13 pounds mature, uh, closer to 20 to 24 weeks of age. And you see them everywhere. A lot of people have them and they can lay eggs if you keep them around, if you want yeah. to go that route too. I was going to say for all the duck breed, I mean, the duck breeds we're talking about today, they really are dual purpose. A lot of people like to keep them for eggs, but also a lot of people raise them for meat. So again, dual purpose practicality or you can raise them for one or the other. Now, the pecans come in a couple different breeds. And so I just kind of wanted to clarify. Jumbo pecans are going to be your heavier pecan and most common for meat. But you'll also find just the standard pecan and you'll find a Grimaud hybrid pecan. And those are, so they all have similar strains, right? They're all pecans, but the other two are a little bit smaller. So those are eight to 12 and a half ish pounds, and they still mature at the 20 to 24 weeks. So a lot of people raise those breeds for the eggs and then the jumbo pecans for meat. But just to clarify, all of them are pecans and all of them can produce eggs or meat. So I know when you're comparing breeds, you're kind of looking at them and really it's just a size and personal preference difference. There's not much else between those. Pretty much all your other ducks, when you get up to that 24 weeks and around there, you're looking at three to eight pounds. So they just don't get as big as those Muscovies and Pecans. Yep. And just like chickens, a duck's a duck. If you want to eat a, a different breed, 
you can do it, but just know you're not getting a a large meat production out of them. You're only getting that three to eight pounds. And the pounds that we're giving on these ducks are their live weight. So they'll process out probably closer to like 75% of that weight. So once again, you eviscerate them, defeather them, clean them, you're looking at about 75% of that weight. So for if you try to eat a runner, just know <laughs> you're going to get like a pound and a half out of that bird. <laughs> All right. On to turkeys. One of my favorites personally. So we'll start with broad breasted, which just like pecans are known as the Cornish cross of turkey world. So there's always like a Cornish cross type breed for every poultry type. And for turkeys, broad breasted are it. And like the Cornish cross, the Cornish cross, you need to butcher at eight weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, because after that period, the health issues become so great that a lot of them just die on you. With the broad breasted turkeys, same way. You process at 16 to 22 weeks, depending on what size of turkey you want. But if you start going off to 23, 24, 25, they get massive and they develop leg problems, heart problems, and they'll die on you. So these are not birds that you keep around. Don't pull a Kendra and keep the ranger. You can forever. The broiler, you cannot keep around. It's not a pet. Don't name it. Same with the broad-breasted turkey. Don't name it. You can't keep it around. It's for meat. Yes. So true. I mean, you'll put so much effort into it just for it to be a loss. For broad-breasted, they do come in two different colors. We have white broad-breasted turkeys and bronze broad-breasted turkeys. You will typically process them at 16 to 22 weeks of age. And those usually dress out at 80 to 85% of the live weight. Now on our help desk, I'll be sure to link it below. We do have a conversion chart for them, feed conversion. And males, if you let them get up to like 24 weeks of age, some of those males live weight can be 50 plus pounds. Broad-breasted turkeys are big. And letting it grow too big means that when you take it to the butcher, you have to have it chopped in half because it doesn't fit in the oven. I get so big. I've heard of customers having that issue. Like they let them go too long. I don't know what it is. It's like a fascination of more meat. Like I think America is just has that mindset. Bigger is better. But then once it's processed and you're looking at it, you're like, what in the heck did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) That's why I prefer heritage turkeys. Now, heritage turkeys are slower growing. There's really not much else to the two different turkey breeds other than Just like a standard chicken breed looks like a standard chicken when you process it versus a Cornish cross, which is going to have the larger breast meat. It's the same between broad-breasted turkeys and heritage turkey breeds. So your heritage turkey is going to be more like a wild turkey. It's going to probably have some more dark meat on it. It's going to look like a regular turkey where you're broad-breasted. I mean, it's called broad-breasted for a reason, right? It has bigger breast, white meat, that style of bird. So heritage turkeys, you can process them at 24 weeks of age. That's pretty early for heritage turkeys. It's going to be a smaller bird because they don't get fully mature until they're 18 months of age. So they're at their like prime weight at 18 months. When you process them, they'll dress out at about 75% of that live weight. And so that's what I prefer to do. I let mine grow out. 18 plus months. And that's the nice thing about heritage turkeys is you can keep some on property to um, breed 
and continue to hatch eggs, which is what I've done. And you don't have to worry about leg issues and health issues and things like that. And they're excellent foragers. They do so good outside. Um, So all summer long, they're out foraging with the rest of my flock. Now, as far as heritage turkey breeds go, in my personal opinion, you really can't go wrong. There, I like them all. <laughs> if I had a bigger coop, I would definitely have more different types of breeds. The one that I've kind of set in on are the bourbon reds. It's supposed to be a really tasty bird. I have not processed mine yet because I raised my original ones to hatch specifically. So the batch that I have out in my coop right now will be processed at Thanksgiving. At least one of them will. Last but not least is geese. They're excellent foragers, which helps reduce feed cost. Um, Now, if you do raise them in a winter climate, of course, you're going to have to supplement them more with feed during that time of year. Uh, Usually after three weeks of age, that's when it's good to get them out on pasture. So their diet usually consists of about 80% grass and 20% grain, along with all the water they can take. And Geese really can gain up to a pound a week. So if they're raised in the proper conditions with the right feed available to them, they're relatively fast growers. And if you've ever raised that poultry type alongside, you know, maybe you have chickens in a brooder and you have geese in a brooder, geese get huge fast. It's the same with like ducks too. If you've ever raised the two different poultry types, they do grow pretty quickly. So geese, you can process them at about 12 weeks or you can let them grow out to maturity. There's really three gosling breeds we recommend. One is the large Dulap Toulouse, and that's our biggest goose breed. And so their live weight is about 18 to 25 pounds. Whereas your super African gets from 16 to 20 pounds or the white Emden, which is probably the most popular. That's the one that most people get. And that's the 15 to 20 pounds. And that's their live weight. So they'll typically dress out around 75% to 80% of that weight. And that, again, is once you clean them, the feather, eviscerate them, prep them for your freezer, that's the weight you're taking home. Jeff, I have a serious question for you. Oh. Have you ever had a turducken? turducken? No. Me either. I've seen a picture of one. They're unique. If you are part of our exclusive Facebook group inside the coop and you've made a turducken, turducken, I think I added an end to that, but if you made one, I want to see photos of it posted in the group. I'm super curious if you actually made it and then your family sat down and ate it. Cause I feel like it's one of those things that sound really fun and cool in theory, but then like you sit down to cut it open and you're like, how do I eat this? <laughs> <laughs> Now, one resource that Meyer Hatchery has is a meat bird tracker and a turkey processing log. These are free downloadables I have linked below for you. You can also find them on our blog. And if you are the homesteader that likes to keep track of your expenses and your flocks, or you're taking them to market, both of these are excellent resources to download and print. It helps you keep track of things like your breed, your live weight, your feed conversion. If you've experienced any losses and then the end processing weight and how many birds you've had. I mean, it has all of the things on it and that's something you can print out and keep in your records. Which is great for if you have kids that are in 4-H, highly encourage you to do this. This will help them. Now, whether you're looking to raise meat birds for the first time or try a new breed, 
We hope this episode helps you grow your flock. Thanks for listening to The Coop. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd be so kind, please drop us a review. See you all next week.